0: At the end of this week's Torah portion, we have a very interesting story of Zimri ben Salu, a tribal leader in the tribe of Shimin, who takes a Midianite woman and together with the men of his tribe, makes an appearance before Moshe and challenges him. In Posuk Vod, first, verse 6, in Perik Hafay, chapter twenty-five, we read, "Vehinei ish mi bnei Yisroel ba." Then an Israelite man came, v'akre v'lech el Echov es Hamidyonis, bringing a Midianite woman to his brethren, le'enei Moshe u'le'enei koladaspnei Yisroel, before the eyes of Moshe, and as witnessed by all of bnei Yisroel. Vehema and the nation is standing and crying pesach o at the entrance of the meeting tent. Medrashtan khuma and other commentaries, including rashi, relate that zimri ben salu brought Kosbi ben bastsor before mesher abenu and argued saying, Is this one, this midjanite woman, forbidden or permitted? Asura o If you say Asura, that she's forbidden to me, well, who made the daughter of Yisrei permit it to you? Chazal conclude by saying that Nis'alma m'imenei halacha, Moshe forgot the law, and he was silent and did not answer Zimri until Pinchas saw the event taking place and said, Remember you taught us the halacha, that one who cohabits with a heathen is punishable by death. Now, why was Yisrael's daughter permitted to Maisha? Because, as Rashi explains, they were married before Matan Torah, and when the Torah was given, they were all like Bnei Nayach, and then all became observant of mitzvahs, she too did. In other words, when Maisha married Tzapayra, she and all the Jews, in fact, were considered Bnei Nayach, and at Matan Torah, all including Tzephira, became Jewish, and therefore there's really no question here. Or at least there's a simple enough answer, and she was permitted to Meisha. So it's a little unusual. Zimri is the head of the tribe of Shimon. He knows there's a difference between before and after matan What then was his argument and claim against Meisha? On the other hand, if there is an opinion that this marriage can be challenged, and it is a sufficient reason to permit the daughter of Yisrael to Moshe, we still don't understand why the Gemara doesn't tell us someone, whether Moshe or anyone, doesn't respond to this claim against Moshe Rabbeinu with that answer. There are commentaries that say that Moshe forgot this thought, that there is a difference between before and after Matan but in addition to the fact that Rashi says explicitly that Moshe forgot the halacha that he was told at Sinai, the one who cohabits with a heathen is killed, that it was only this halacha, that this would be the appropriate punishment, was what he forgot. And also, it's really quite a stretch to suggest that Moshe forgot such a simple issue as the difference between Matan Teira and before Matan Teira and after. Beyond all of that, how did Zimri ask such a question? It's not like he could depend on Moshe forgetting this. He knew it himself. So what is his question? There's another issue here that requires clarification. The law in Torah is that a convert is forbidden to a kohen. True, the Gemara in Kedushin deduces this law from a verse in Yecheskel that states, "...who kohen may not marry." The Gemara quotes this from that source only because Yecheskel depends on the Torah source. But it is absolutely a prohibition in Torah, where it states clearly that a kohen may not take a woman who is a Zayna, or a woman divorced from her husband. Because a woman who is called a Zaina in Torah is explained in the Rambam, in Hilchezbeah, to mean a woman who is not a naturally born Jewess, along with several other categories. And a Kayan may not marry such a woman because she comes from non-Jews who are steeped in lewdness. In fact, in the Gemara, there's a debate regarding Moshe's priestly status. According to the opinion of Rav, Moshe is a Kayan Godel and remains so, but his children were not. There is another opinion that Moshe served as a kohen only for the seven days of inauguration of the tabernacle, which would present the question how Yisra's daughter, who was a, Yisra was a heathen and steeped in idolatry until he converted long after Tzapirah's birth, was permitted to Moshe as she was a convert. According to the opinion of the others that misha served in the capacity of priesthood only for the seven inaugural days, we might be able to answer that saying that even the Maisha wasn't a complete kohen, that even then Maisha wasn't a complete kohen. And the reason he was able to bring sacrifices in the seven inaugural days was only because at that time, until after the inauguration, the Mishkan was halachically considered a bama, a space with sacrificial designation, like the ones people would designate privately before the building of the Mishkan. It's for this reason that Misha performed the service Wearing white garments, and not the priestly garments, because when sacrificing on a Bama, one doesn't wear priestly garments. Hence, Yisrael's daughter wasn't forbidden to Maisha as a wife. But this is still challenging. The terminology in the Gemara that tells us that Maisha wasn't made a kohen, but only for the seven inaugural days, and then the priesthood expired, allows us to deduce that during these seven days, Moshe was a complete Kayan. We also need clarification regarding his marriage to the daughter of Yisrael based upon the Rashi that teaches that regarding the opinion that the priesthood didn't expire for Moshe, but his sons were not priests, they were Levites, but kol yom of kayin Moshe was a kohen all his days since Matan Teira. It seems that we can actually suggest that the questions we've presented are each an answer to the other. Zimri's challenge, who permitted you to take Yisrael's daughter as your wife, was a challenge to Moshe as a Kuyan who would be prohibited from marrying a convert and not about the fact that he was married to a non-Jew. And Zimri was suggesting that the reason a Coyun could not marry a convert, and the reason that he could not be with a Midianite, with Cosby, would really be the same, because they came from heathens steeped in lewdness and impurity. If the Midianite woman is forbidden to him for this reason, then why is Bas Yisrei, the daughter of Yisrei, permitted to Maisha? But with this argument, there remains a question on the other side of this. What indeed is the answer to this challenge? And why wasn't that answer given to Zimri? It would seem that this could be answered with the teaching of our sages in the tractate Shabbos in the Talmud. Rabbi Yaisi teaches, it is taught in a that Shlashadvarim asa Mesha did three things based on his own understanding. Vihiskim Hu imai. And God agreed with him. One of these three, three things, says the Talmud, was that after Sinai, Mesha separated from his wife. Which would invalidate Zimri's challenge that he could not marry a Bas Yisri, a convert. Now, though separation from a convert wife is not sufficient in terms of the prohibition for a Kohen to not marry a convert, that in fact the opinion is that Moshe divorced her. We know this from Rashi's explanation in Parshas Behaloscha when the verse tells us that Miriam speaks to Aaron about Moshe regarding the Kushite woman he married. Rashi explains and says she spoke about the Kushite wife actually means she spoke about her divorce. They were not just separated, they were permanently separated, they were divorced. Yet no one said this to Zimri when he challenged Moshe's marriage because nobody knew about this. In fact, even Miriam didn't know until Eldad and Medud were prophesying in the camp, and Zepaira exclaimed within hearing of Miriam with the words, Woe to the wives of those who prophesy, for they will have to separate from their wives like my husband separated from me. But Misha said nothing about this, because it was a position he took on his own, Without Hashem's commanding him to do so, and Hashem had agreed to his action, but in utter humility, Moshe kept this quiet. Hence, he also did not give this answer to Zimri. This suggested explanation, too, isn't strong enough because, in fact, according to the Sifri, when Moshe separated from his wife, it was because, as Rashi teaches, Hashem told him to separate from his wife, as we learn from Moshe in Parsha's Dvorim that Hashem instructed him and said to him, Tell the nation to return to their tents, but you remain with me. And sharing that with Zimri, then, that Hashem instructed him to do so would not have been immodest. Also, Tzapaira's reference regarding her separation from her husband was because he is a prophet, but in fact, as she was a convert, he was required to separate from her. We can understand this through the following Mishnah. The Mishnah in Yavama states, Im iris el haalmona Vinitmana liyais kayin gadol yichneis If a regular kohen is betrothed to a widow and is subsequently appointed to be high priest, he may continue and marry her. This is deduced from the verse in Torah in Parshas Emor that teaches that a kohen should take a wife who is a virgin from among his people, from Bnei Yisrael, and the verse concludes with the words yikach isha, he should take a wife. This, our sages learn, tells us that if he was engaged as a regular priest to a widow, he is fulfilling the obligation to take a wife, and he should marry her even if he becomes high priest. This then teaches us a lesson that so it is too, and more obviously so, that not only his betrothal, but also his marriage is permitted After Moshe became a kohen, she remained permitted to him as a wife, though she was a convert. The question can be asked, Moshe's permitted marriage to Tzapaira took place before the giving of the Torah, when the nation was considered Bnei Nayach, and there was no boundary in terms of who Moshe could marry to begin with as there was after Matan Torah, which should then mean that after Matan Torah, having acquired a new halachic status of Jews, we should have all remarried and re-sanctified marriage according to the laws of Torah. And if that's the case, we're right back where we began with our question, how could Moshe Akoyin marry Tzapayra? Which really isn't a question, because Moshe only became a kohen at the inauguration of the Mishkan of the Tabernacle, and even if the opinion that he was a kohen all his days—in other words, from Matan that is the opinion, there is still no question, as kiddushin sanctified marriages existed even in Egypt. Back in Chomashmais, we learn Vayikach Ishmi Levi, Vayikach, bas, vay, uh, vayikach bas Levi." Sorry, that Pasuk is incorrectly quoted. No Vayikach at the beginning. But a man from a Levite household took, as in married, a woman who was a daughter of a Levite household. The Talmud and Saita comments on this saying. He did the act of taking, which means he took her as his wife in sanctified marriage in Kiddushin way before Matan Since Kiddushin existed before Matan as mandated after Matan people did not need to marry again as their marriages were already sanctified. And this held for after Matan as well. So Moshe's taking Sipira was permitted before Matan even, and he didn't need to be Mekadashar to take her as a wife in a marriage of sanctification again. This answers two questions. Why Zimri challenged Moshe, Bas Yisrael, Mi Hittirah who permitted you to marry Yisra's daughter, and why Moshe didn't respond at all. Zimri did not adhere to terusha ba'al peh, and the explanation of yikach isha to take a wife, as in a koyin should take a wife, was an explanation of terusha ba'al peh, and so his opinion was that Moshe should give her a divorce. Moshe, on his part, could not respond with vayikach isha its explanation, and its significance as there is a law that if one is personally involved, in a situation, one cannot elucidate the law around this issue because he won't be trusted or believed when he says this. And when he says, this is what I received or learned, he would not be believed. Moshe was certainly personally involved. We see this very thing happen with Kairach. Kairach brought a complaint about the Kuna of Aring, which may have had true intentions, but alongside this, he brought false arguments and challenges about the idea of a mezuzah, arguing that a room filled with Swarm with holy scrolls, doesn't require another scroll on the doorpost, and about a talus, arguing that a completely T'cheles, Talas, does not require tzitzit of T'cheles. Moshe didn't reply to him with a response. That was Teirish Balpe. Rather, Moshe just responded with a warning for those who provoke God. Because Moshe was personally involved in Kairos' complaint, and this could not be the one who quoted the law as he was not to be trusted, or believe because he is a negea bedover, involved in the event. There's an important lesson here. We don't always have to answer someone's questions. Sometimes someone asks a question just to be able to get what he wants, to make a Midianite permissible. When his intention is for the sake of holiness, even a fool who is asking foolishly, but with holy intentions, should be answered. But when a fool asks just to get around something that the Torah prohibits, you don't answer the fool in his foolishness. The best solution in this case is not through discussion and debate, but with the force of one's transcendent knowledge and understanding. In truth, that's what we should do with ourselves as well, when the Eighth Sahara, the foolish old king inside us, comes around to cause confusion, best not to start debating the issue internally. Rather, just forge ahead with what you already know is right. As it says in the tractate sukkah, drag the manuvel to the Beis HaMedrash, drag the low life to the study hall. Take the Eighth Sahara with you into the realm of Torah, which is what Pinchas did with zealotry for God. He didn't engage in some intellectual debate. In fact, the law is that if one comes to consult about what to do if he saw a Jewish man engaging in intercourse with a Gentile woman, the court does not instruct him. And so Pinchas did so, avenging the honor of God with self-sacrifice, and killed Zimri. Most years, Yudbez, Be'ez, Yud Tammuz, the Chag HaGeula, the festival on which we celebrate the release of the previous Rebbe, takes place on the Shabbos of Parshas Bolok. And our discussion connects to this day of redemption and celebration. The Rebbe's actions, the Rebbe's actions too, were in consonance with the actions of Pinchas, Be'kanoi eskinosi, executing the vengeance of God. He did not consider the arguments of some who said, there's no obligation for self-sacrifice in spreading every detail in Judaism if there's danger. For the free dekirebe, it was be'kanoi eskinosi, the execution of divine vengeance. As long as it was something for Hashem, the Freyadikideb sacrificed his life over and over to spread Torah and Judaism. Self-sacrifice can be expressed in several ways. In our Parsha, it wasn't directly through the Nasi Hador, that was Moshe, and it was expressed with might for the Freyadikideb, the Baal HaGeula, whose redemption we celebrate, who was the actual Nasi Hador, the leader of the generation. In fact, we can really say that Pinchas too got his strength for his actions in sanctification of God's name from Maisha, the leader of the generation. For the free Kerebe it was all through kindness, as we've shared often. That the de dekarebe asked of his father, the Rebbe Rashab, that his leadership be one of chesed and rachamim, kindness and mercy. So that even in executing vengeance for God, this could be done with an ayin a good eye, with kindness to another, with kindness and with mercifulness.